I am learning that when I am vulnerable and weak and I say help, then people will help me lift my eyes from this small pretend God that I think about to the true awesome God who is really there. And that is when I change. And that is when I persevere. And that is when I have hope. Helen Thorne is the author of the book soon to be released by The Good Book Company called Hope in an Anxious World. What better time than now to talk about anxiety? I'm Tina. I'm a wife and stay-at-home mom of three boys. Life is full of crazy, and I want to share it with you. I really want to do this podcast, but like you, I don't always have time to sit down and record. So we're going to fold laundry, bake, do all the things together while we talk. I'm glad you're here to walk through life with me. Thanks for joining me, Helen. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and what ministries you are involved in? I'm based in southwest London uh, in England uh, in a little place called uh, near Surbiton. And I've lived here all my life. Um, I work as a director of training and resources at an organization called Biblical Counseling UK. I do that part time. Uh, and the rest of my time, I'm a freelance speaker and counselor. And I'm very stuck into my local church uh, where I do lots of pastoral care. Uh, but also do lots of Bible studies with women who have English as a second language. Uh, so we open the Bible together. We use a lot of translators, a bit of charades, but hopefully get to wonderful truths about Jesus along the way. You are busy. I am so glad you took the time to talk to me. So what what prompted your research and your desire to write about anxiety? I think it's probably twofold. Part of it was my own personal struggles with anxiety. I've always been anxious. Uh, as a child, I was the sort of person that used to hide behind my mum's skirt and used to kind of pop out from behind there and just think, no, no, the world's too scary. I don't really want to engage with that. Uh, and that's been a, a feature of my life uh, throughout. But on a, a more ministry level, I suppose, I kept getting invitations to women's breakfasts. And I said, well, yes, of course. You know, What would you like me to speak on? And they said, oh, please, can you speak on anxiety? Uh, we're really struggling with that right now. Uh, and so it, I think my, my thinking and my reading and my research gradually stemmed from those two different roots. Uh, and the book came together mainly as a result of, of the talks that happened, but, but also me wanting to have something I could give away to my friends who were struggling. Because you, you can't talk to everybody in depth. Uh, you can't have a, a, a massive conversation with everyone you love um, and the neighbor down the street and the person at the school gate and, and the person at the church. And so I, I really longed for there to be something that I could give away and said, look, I, I'd love to talk to you about this more. But but for now, here's something to read. Uh, and then maybe we can come back and chat about it at a later date. Right. So 10 plus years ago, did you ever think you would be in this position of um, just being able to reach and help so many more than just your local church and everything. It, was this kind of something that you had seen as a possibility or is, did it just fall into your lap? 
Uh, I I have never planned to be a writer or a speaker or or a counsellor for that matter. Uh, God has very much taken me. um, Well, he's a good shepherd, isn't he? And he leads his sheep uh, and he has been leading me. And I think, quite frankly, if he told me 10, 15 years ago, I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I would have run for the hills uh, and said, no, Lord, please choose somebody else. Um, But he is he's very good. And he's taken me on a road from being very broken myself to having little opportunities to encourage one or two people uh, to having opportunities to encourage 20 or 30 people now to opportunities to encourage. Well, we pray many thousands of people. Uh, And he's done that so gently uh, because I think he knows that with my anxiety, uh, it had to be gentle if I was to follow him to that kind of end. Wow. I, I love that God uses our struggles and and our weaknesses to show himself strong. I mean, that's that's what Paul talked about several times throughout his epistles. In talking about anxiety, there are different ways that we try to cope with our anxiety. I recently talked in a podcast about how important it is, especially for moms, wives even too, because we're we're giving so much of ourselves, like constantly pouring out, how important it is to, to take time for self-care and how that can sound really selfish because the word self is in there. But um, it's, it's just that time of taking care of yourself as well. And, and so um, just thinking of anxiety and, and as, a, as a wife and mom, I find myself feeling anxious of, but what about this for my child? How is this going to work out? Um, there are so many different things. And then there are ways that we try to cope with that. So is there like a time or something when some of these common coping mechanisms might switch and become maybe wrong or hurtful or just unhelpful unhelpful that's is that a word it is now we can make up any words we like it's all good (laughs) um I, I think you're absolutely right I think there's a whole range of things that we can be doing to try and keep our anxiety at bay Uh, Some of them are incredibly helpful, like eating healthily and resting and and taking some exercise. Uh, Sometimes medication has its place as well. You know, there's a whole host of things that that can be useful. But I think they also reveal uh, where our heart in as well, because, you know, ultimately the only person that could actually bring hope and help to any situation is, is Jesus uh, and we want to have him fully on the throne and to know his lordship and his sovereignty and his goodness and his kindness and his love to us. And of course, part of God's goodness and kindness to us is he provides us with rest. And part of God's goodness and kindness to us is he provides us with other people who can help us do the things that we need to do. And part of his goodness and kindness to us is he gives us a body uh, and that body works best when we feed it and exercise it. So all those coping strategies are, are really good things to do. But they're good things. They're not God things. And I think there can be a temptation to 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 switch that round and make the exercise or the food or or our prioritizing or, or our me time, our rest time. Make that the God thing. Make that the thing that we absolutely have to have if our life is to work. And I think God is very clear in his Bible. He, he's the only God. He, he doesn't share that throne. He doesn't share that crown with anybody. Uh, and so I think we do have to be quite careful whilst it's it's right and proper that we use all those lovely techniques that you've mentioned uh, for, for his glory and our good. 
they're never going to be our ultimate salvation. And so what we want to do is always have a biblical aspect to how we're dealing with our anxiety and all the stresses and strains of everyday life. I love that. I love how you pulled out how God is, he's the one God and and how many times, especially throughout the Old Testament when he's talking to his people, Israel, and and he's trying to like pull them back. Hang on now, stay with me. Um, That I'm, I'm the most important. I love that, that these are good. I also appreciate the fact that you, you mentioned um, that sometimes medication or some sort of just like a medical assistance might be needed in some situations. I feel as though that that can very often get, get like a bad rap, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't like those other things, the good eating well and, and exercise, they're all good things, but they can all be taken too far. So can, you know, dependence on medication. But I was just, I was very relieved to see that you, you touched on that lightly in your book as well. And as you did just now. Absolutely. I mean, God has made us to have a body and a soul. We, we've got this outer fleshy bit uh, as well as a heart. Uh, and of course, we live after Genesis 3. We live in a fallen, broken world. And therefore, this outer fleshy bit, uh, it doesn't work as it should. I mean, it will one day. It's going to be wonderful in the new heavens and the new earth where uh, all our biochemistry, all our, our joints and our muscles, everything is going to be functioning as it should. But, but at the moment, we should expect our, our bodies to be broken. Uh, in, in some way, at least, uh, you know, some of us will be feeling that more than others. And so I think it's right and proper that we use uh, medical expertise when it's out there. That's a, a good gift uh, of grace from God in the world. Uh, and, you know, people like me, I, I can talk about Jesus till the cows come home, uh, but I, I can't tell what's going on in the biochemistry of your body. Uh, but a doctor's going to be a much better place to do that. So, yeah, I really would encourage people to get that help if that's what's best. You mentioned talking about Genesis 3. Is there really any other way to approach anxiety other than the perspective coming from the fall of man and brokenness? I, th- I think every problem that we struggle with in this world uh, has to start with Genesis 3, because this isn't the world we were designed for. You know, we were designed for perfection. I mean, I love, you know, imagining what it would have been like in Genesis 1 or 2, you know, waking up in the morning, feeling joyful, going about your daily business, knowing nothing was going to go wrong, having a perfect relationship with your spouse with no tension, you know, unfettered conversation with God, you know, no weeds in the garden. Um, It all just sounds absolutely wonderful. But, you know, from Genesis 3, everything went wrong. But I think maybe we need to be a bit more nuanced than just say, it's about the fall. It's about Genesis 3, because obviously there are different aspects to that. I think we can think of anxiety as being triggered by the stuff that comes at us. You know, there's a huge amount of pain in this world. You know, all of us will know what it's like to be on the receiving end of a cruel word or a cruel action or to have the pressure of work or parenting or, or you know, being in relationships that are in trouble or financial hardship you know, or, or illness. You know, there's just so much coming at us that's Genesis 3 based. But it's not just what's coming at us. It's what's happening in us. It's our broken bodies, our broken biochemistry, our, the broken way we interpret the events around us. You know, we, we can see something hard and we can assume that means that God doesn't love us or the people around us don't love us. So there's, there's a lot going on in us in terms of biochemistry and in terms of the way we interpret stuff. But also there's the stuff that's coming out of us as well. Is it John Calvin that called our hearts idol factories? We're always longing after things, wanting things 
that just aren't good for us. And so when we're looking at the roots of anxiety, yeah, it is Genesis 3, but it's a nuanced version of Genesis 3, the pain coming at us, the stuff going on in us, the things coming out of us. And it's when they, those things collide uh, that the anxiety can really begin to hold sway. Now, you also mentioned in your book, you, you touch on, I believe it is, six lies that we tell ourselves. One of them that, that stuck out to me, I mean, I could even think of this right now in just just the way that our house is. I, I can't hear anything because I have my headphones in, but I can just assume that there is chaos going on beyond this door. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, so the the lie that everything is out of control, I, I um, oh yes, that lie is is often and <laughs> and sometimes very strong. And um, oh, I don't know. So what what could be some some truth maybe in that? Because I know that that since that lie is is strong with me, it might not be one that's as as large for everybody, but. But what would be some truths that we could use to combat that lie? Mm. And I think so many of us know that feeling of life being out of control. Uh, we'll know it in different proportions and on different days. But so often you just, whether you're looking at the news or whether you're just looking in the mirror or just looking at the carnage in your house, uh, it, it just feels like everything is out of control. And of course, we have to be realistic. Everything is not as it should be, um, not, not in the world and, and not even in my living room. Um, there are things that are that are not right. But the notion that everything is spiraling out of control, that in some way God has maybe fallen asleep at the wheel or, or fallen off his throne or has just, you know, decided to let life run without any coherency for a while. That that's that's just not true. But it's the sort of thing in our anxiety. We can either very explicitly believe or we can just functionally believe that by the way we act. You know, we we might say God is good and God is sovereign, but then we end up doing kind of a headless chicken routine and and actually acting as if he's not good and, and not sovereign. And so I think just bathing ourselves in wonderful truths about Jesus, uh, wonderful truths about the God that we worship is is a great antidote to those lies. It's uh, wonderful to to look at some of the stories in in the Gospels, Mark chapter one to eight, where we see Jesus's authority over sickness and death over the created world. We just get bombarded with evidence that that life is wonderfully under control and under the control of a savior who who adores us. But there are just masses of of Old Testament stories as well. Messes of stories like uh, Joseph. I mean, talk about a life that seemed to be out of control. You know, we have this this man that is hated by his family, who who almost gets murdered, gets trafficked to a foreign land, uh, gets put to work as a slave, gets thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit, uh, promptly gets forgotten by his friends. And he only gets out of prison when someone remembers he has a useful skill and he has to stand before the most powerful person in that nation and do what feels like an impossible task before being given the role of actually navigating an entire nation through a massive disaster management project. I mean, that looks like a life that is out of control. Um, and, and maybe, maybe there were moments where Joseph was sitting in prison feeling that. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe, maybe he did. But actually, you get to the end of Joseph's story and you see him meeting his friends and uh, meeting his brothers. And he's able to utter those words, you know, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. 
he, he could see, maybe not see at every moment of the day, but he could see at the end that God had an incredible plan for everything that got him from his country to Egypt uh, and to a position where he could help avert a massive disaster. And whilst, of course, not all of us are going to get thrown into prison for a crime we didn't commit and not all of us are going to have to run a country, um, we can all know that same God and that same God who has plans and purposes that run above our pain and actually do weave together the very, very messy and difficult aspects of our life uh, in ways that are beautiful and coherent and actually bring about good and God-glorifying things trying to put myself in Joseph's shoes. I know we we can't know for sure, but perhaps he was reciting truth until maybe he finally believed it or could be the the ability to look back and piece things together. I mean, I, I assume that that that's also very good for for helping with anxiety. I know when I get caught up in the moment, I have a hard time seeing who God is and who God has been mm. to bring me to that point. Absolutely right. And I think we see that in the little bit of Habakkuk. I absolutely adore Habakkuk. I mean, it's one of those books of the Bible we don't read very often. Quite frankly, most of us can't find it and none of us can spell it. <laughs> um, but it, it is one of those books that is just packed full of rich truth. And one of the things I love about Habakkuk, well, partly I love about Habakkuk is he just asks really tough questions of God, like why and how long? And he just pours out his heart. Uh, but he also gets to that point where he's willing to stand uh, in awe of God uh, and remind himself who God is, that sovereign and good God. But he's also willing to discipline himself to remember God's faithfulness in the past. And I think that's so wonderful when we have anxiety is to go, OK, it feels like God is not providing for me now. But actually, hang on a second. He provided for me yesterday and he provided for me last year. And he's actually he's provided for me every single day of my life. And he provided for everyone else in the church as well. And if you can track back through Bible history, he's provided for all of them. Actually, I think I can be fairly confident he's going to provide for me today. Mm -hmm. Um but of course, as you say, that's really hard to do that in the heat of the moment. But that's why we need each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, sometimes I just get into a complete panic. And, and, and on my better days, I try. I remember God is my king and my rock and my refuge and my fortress and the spirit that's indwelling me and the shepherd who's leading me and uh, the wing that is covering me. But on those days when actually that all goes horribly wrong, I can just text a friend and they can get back to me and go, Helen, you know what? Let's do this together. Let's let's remember who this God is. Let's remember what he's doing right now. Let's remember his amazing track record. And, and let's turn to him together. Because actually, this isn't just an academic exercise about remembering things about God. This is a deep and beautiful relationship with God. This is the God who is carrying us through this period of anxiety, not just the God that says, remember who I am, but follow me. He's the good shepherd that will put his sheep on his shoulders uh, when we can't keep going ourselves. And so turning to him in that beautiful, intimate, safe relationship is something we can encourage each other to do. I was doing a talk just on Saturday morning, actually, uh, and we were talking about just this issue in the question and answer time. Uh, and one of the ladies piped up, blessing books, everyone needs a blessing book. And I went, a, a, a blessing book? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, not really familiar with, with that. And she said, oh, it's just a, a notebook that I have. Uh, and every time uh, I notice something that God has done that's wonderful, I write it down. 
I thought, well, that's not rocket science, is it? It's, you don't have to call it a blessing book, but it's just a, a log of the wonderful things that we've noticed about God. And she said, when I'm having an anxious moment, I just read my blessing book. I just go back and see what he's been doing every day. Uh, another lovely friend of mine has this wonderful tradition, uh, which one day I'm going to copy. She gets this big, big jar uh, and puts it at the end of her bed. And every night before she goes to bed, she just rips up a little bit of paper and writes something to thank God for on that bit of paper uh, and sticks it in the jar. And she does that every single day of the year, pretty much. And then on New Year's Eve, she just tips all the bits of paper onto the floor. Uh, and before she's having whatever celebration she's going to go out to do, she just reads 365 reminders of God's goodness from every single day of that year. And she said, it's just mind blowing. You know, of course, she still has bad days. Of course, she still forgets. Of course, she still wobbles. She's human. We live in a fallen world. We're all going to struggle. But she says she's just got this overwhelming sense of God's goodness and generosity and provision uh, and faithfulness that never fails. Uh, and, you know, even on the worst days, uh, there is the inescapable fact that we've got to the end of it. Uh, and God has enabled us to do that. Uh, and just remembering his goodness is is a beautiful thing. But, yeah, get into the word. Never better than when into the word. But but remember those little blessings, too. Uh, and give yourself the opportunity to review those from time to time. Both of those examples... Uh, I what I love about those is they're not difficult. Being able to rip up small pieces of paper every night. As you were talking about that, I was imagining one of those large pickle jars full of pieces of paper in different colors from different times. And even just looking at it, I'm sure it's encouraging how full your jar is. Absolutely. And you can be as creative or as basic as you want. You know, you can you can go for something that's really complex or you can keep it really, really simple. And you can do it at any age. Do it with your kids. Uh, do it with, uh, you know, the elderly parent who's starting to get forgetful. You know, you can do it as a whole family. Do it on your own. It, it's really flexible. You know, I think just find whatever system works for you to help you remember just how good God is. If I can quote your book, talking about God, um, he probably isn't going to equip us to work an 80-hour week without getting tired or to have a home where nothing is out of place. Workaholism and perfectionism are not things he equips us to pursue. He does equip us for faithfulness, though, and he never fails. I will just say, like, I read that, and the 80-hour week, that's not something necessarily I struggle with as a stay-at-home mom. I mean, like, I'm always on the job, but... But uh, the home where nothing is out of place, I was, you mentioned something about having a, a perfect home and everything's tidy and everything, but um, I was really hoping maybe you would put like a little asterisk on there saying that, yeah, but <laughs> it's okay to want that. And you didn't. So I'm kind of disappointed. Um. <laughs> I, I, I feel I maybe ought to say I'm sorry, but I, I'm not entirely sorry. <laughs> Uh, it's normal, isn't it? We, we all want our environments to be nice. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with wanting our environments to be nice. Um, but it's there's a difference between nice and perfect. Perfect is for the next life. Perfect isn't for this life. Uh, and we want nice and homely uh, and nice and relaxed and nice and godly uh, and nice and holy more than perfect. At least that's what the Lord is calling us to. Uh, and yes, of course, if we can have a, a, a flat or a home where everything's dusted, I'm looking around now 
and just looking at the dust everywhere. It is remembering that I think sometimes we feel our worth comes from having a perfect house or people will like us more if we have a perfect house or we're actually being more godly if we have a perfect house. And actually, there's a real ministry in mess. Um, you know, the Christian life is, is a race. And of course, back when the Bible was written, a race wasn't a nice sanitized thing done on an astroturf in a, in a big stadium. A, a race was something run muddy and you, you would have fallen over and you would have ended up that race covered in dirt. Uh, and this, this life, this life is meant to be a messy life. Of course, we can bring some order to it. Uh, but if we're trying to get rid of all the mess now, then I think maybe we're trying to grab a bit more of heaven now than we're designed to have. Uh, and so, yes, of course, have order, have a safe house, you know, have a hygienic house. We don't want people dying of deadly diseases because we haven't cleaned for the last 20 years. Um, but actually, our worth doesn't come from our tidying up. And actually, having everything in its place isn't going to reduce our anxiety. It isn't going to enable us to be more hospitable. It isn't going to boost our evangelism. Uh, it's it's just going to tick some box on a list somewhere in our minds. Uh, and whilst it's not a bad thing, again, it's not a God thing. It's a good thing, but it's not a God thing, like we were saying at the start. Uh, and it's not the thing to pursue. The thing to pursue, the person to pursue is Jesus. Uh, and along the way, if we can do some tidying up, that's no bad thing. You wrote about rule followers and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our sons is a strict rule follower. Probably wouldn't surprise you that it's the oldest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if any any birth order things are true, our oldest is a um, a rule follower, and he also struggles with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we work with children who have anxiety like this? Um, I know for him specifically, it's, it's unknowns or changes mm-hmm. can be, can be difficult. How can we help our children? Yeah. And it's important to remember that for children, you know, life is going to be a bit more scary for them sometimes than it is for us. Uh, we might want to protect them a little bit and it, it is right to protect them from, you know, as age appropriately, you know, we don't want to be exposing two-year-olds to the same things that our 18-year-olds uh, are exposed to. Uh, and so, you know, they are going to find things hard. They, they don't have that perspective of things having worked out for the last 20 years because they haven't been alive for the last 20 years. And so they, they can struggle with anxiety uh, and we shouldn't be surprised when they do. And um, we want to be listening to them and loving them through that anxiety. And of course, actually being a bit of a rule follower, you know, on one level, it's no bad thing. We, we do want to have some order. Uh, we do want to be pursuing what God wants and actually being clear about what God wants can can be helpful. We don't really want to phrase the gospel in terms of rules. But, you know, there are some things that God would like us to do and some things that God wouldn't like us to do. So telling the truth and not telling lies, you know, would be a good example of where we want to be really clear about what is helpful and, and what's not helpful. But of course, when it comes to anxiety, sometimes when we are feeling anxious, we feel if we can just control everything around us, our anxiety will go. If we can just break everything down into little baby steps, know exactly what's expected of us and fulfill that to the whole, then our anxiety will subside. And and to a slight extent, that can work. But of course, 
just remembering all the rules can actually then make us anxious. And then when we mess up and don't keep one of the rules, we get even more anxious. And then we feel we have to make another rule to, to, to compensate for the fact of a rule of how to remember the rule that we forgot. Uh, and it can just sort of spiral down into a, a kind of a rule-making maze. And I think one of the most important things to model to our children and to explain to our children is how to fail, how to get things wrong. Uh, it's about showing that actually making a mistake is not a disaster uh, and that actually a grace-fueled life, a grace-filled life is a beautiful life. So I think, you know, obviously we don't want to go out of our way to get things wrong, to make a point. You know, let's, let's let it naturally happen in the household. You know, it, it'll come about sooner rather than later. But when we do make a mistake as parents or as aunts and grandparents, godparents, whatever it is, actually taking that opportunity to go, oh, I made a mistake. I need to say sorry to God. I need to say sorry to the person that I've hurt. But actually doing that in a way that models that this isn't a life ending, a world shattering thing. This is a normal and natural part to the Christian life. So, so helping our children understand that repentance and faith it is like a daily normality. It's not something that we have to avoid. It's not something that we have to um, consider a disaster. Repentance of faith is just what the Christian life is. So help them know that failing and messing up is normal. And then when they're, when they're really keen on those rules, one game I like to play is who is wearing the crown. Uh, it depends on the age of the child. Um, you can tweak it for different age groups. But sometimes I just get a little toy crown and we'll think about what we want to do. And this will apply for anything from stamping their feet because they want an ice cream through to the, the big decisions about, you know, faith and schools and, and churches uh, and, and all the, the really big uh, decisions that children have to make, especially when they're older. And it's looking at your situation and go, OK, who's wearing the crown right now? Am I, am I wanting Jesus to wear the crown and I'm wanting things to do things his way? Or am I wanting to wear the crown and wanting to do things my way? Or is there somebody else in my life, maybe peer pressure? Is there somebody at school who's wearing the crown and I want to do this to please them? And just teasing that out in terms of actually, who's the boss of this situation? Who are we trying to please? Now, the aim of doing that is not to suggest that the child should never have any control over their life. Clearly, that's not what we want to go. We want children to have appropriate control over what happens to their bodies and what activities they're involved in and things like that. And it's not to take away any authority from the parents, because sometimes under God, they should be wearing a little crown and actually saying, no, no, you do need to be cleaning your teeth right now. This actually is quite important. Um, but it, it helps us tease out who's in control in each situation. Uh, and it helps us go, actually, at the moment, I'm wearing the crown because I don't like this thing that's happening and I want to make it better. And there are too many eyes in that sentence. So that's when you can have a conversation with your children about how we can, in effect, give, give Jesus the crown back. I mean, I know he never actually stopped wearing it, uh, but in terms of how we relate to him. Uh, actually say, no, actually, Jesus, I want you in control of this situation. And that means I can go into this situation with a heart full of grace rather than a heart full of rules. That's a beautiful illustration because children can be so visual. That I, I love that. That's really good. I love to hear how God is showing himself to others. So how just most recently, how has God shown himself to you? It's been locked down here in London recently. 
Uh, I would say that a number of us are struggling with that. Um, we, we're not allowed to have anyone in our houses at the moment. Um, we can meet with people in our garden, but it's been snowing this morning. So that's how practical it is to sit outside for a couple of friends for an hour with a friend. Uh, it, it doesn't really work. So there is, and I live alone at the moment. Um, so being stuck in the same four walls without another human being in it has been hard. I mean, it's been hard for many other people in different ways, but it's certainly been hard for me uh, in, in this particular environment. And I think God has been showing me his presence uh, in, in exciting ways. That sense of the Bible coming alive uh, in new ways and speaking very powerfully about how he's here and how he's active. I think uh, I've been absolutely touched by church family members who will go to all kinds of crazy lengths to just drive past and wave uh, and to send notes through the post. People have sent me a bunch of envelopes, one to open every Monday uh, for several Mondays running uh, with little messages of love and little Bible truths. Uh, and I think God has been showing me his presence, his love, uh, the love uh, of the Christian community around me. I say that's just my experience. Other people's experience in London will have been very different. It's very different being in lockdown with, uh, you know, a large family, all of whom are, are, are screaming at different moments of the time. Um, but for me, I think the isolation has been countered by that overwhelming sense of being loved. Uh, and that has really warmed my heart. Through all of the study you've done over the last several years, what have you learned about yourself? Looking in the mirror is never a comfortable exercise. Um, but I have, without any shadow of doubt, learnt that God is too small in my view. Um, I think it's very easy to think if someone's written a book on anxiety, they, they get things right. Uh, I've written a book on anxiety from the perspective of getting everything wrong uh, and just going on a journey uh, with the Lord, uh, trying uh, in him making me uh, more like Jesus along the way. And I am repeatedly confronted with the fact that I see Jesus as too disinterested, too lacking in power, uh, too distant, too unloving. Now, I would never say that in church. You know, when I'm in church, when I'm leading a Bible study, when I'm reading one-to-one -one with somebody, when I'm counselling, I will talk about God's unfailing love, the fact that he delights in his children, the fact that we are secure in his loving arms, the fact that we are chosen and called and redeemed and indwelt and heading for heaven. There's a beautiful shepherd, a sovereign king. A, we have everything we need, a God who provides. The, the theology is there as I'm sure it is for, for many people listening today. But in reality, when something hard happens to me, I take my eyes off that wonderful God and I, I think about a God who is much smaller and much less powerful and actually doesn't care about me anywhere near as much as I say he does. And I don't think I'm an, alone in that. I hope I'm not. It'd be a bit embarrassing if I am. Um, but um, I think that's a very common experience that we we can say to somebody else what we don't believe for ourselves. Uh, and so I've also learned that I need to be much more open with my sisters in Christ about when I'm struggling, because it's very easy to say the right thing, which is true, uh, and 
do the right thing at church because that's what's expected, but be falling apart inside. And I've learned, and I've learned the hard way, that actually, rather than just teaching the right thing, I need to be applying that to my heart. And rather than just looking shiny, I need to be willing to be weak and broken in front of, you know, a small and select group of friends, not the entire congregation, um, people that I can trust. And actually, I am learning that when I am vulnerable and weak and I say help, then people will help me lift my eyes from this small pretend God that I think about to the true awesome God who is really there. And that is when I change. And that is when I persevere. And that is when I have hope. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I I am going to go away encouraged and and just how you've you've just just continually pointed me back to God's faithfulness because that is it. That is who he is. He's faithful in his love. He's faithful in his in his grace to us. He's faithful in all of his attributes. Are you active on social media at all? If anyone would be interested in following you? Um, I, I have a limited activity on social media. So Twitter, Helen Ruth 12 um, and Instagram uh, the same. Uh, feel free to, to follow me uh, on either of those. And I love interacting with people. Um, so always feel free to, to message me. I, I can't promise to answer instantly, but I, I love hearing from people. So do feel free to drop me a note. I'm going to go ahead and include a link to all of your social accounts in the show notes. Hope in an Anxious World comes out June 1st, but you can pre-order it today at the link in the show notes. I've also dropped a few of her other titles in there for you to check out. 